And again, it's that BC expertise because there is essentially one insurance provider, ICBC. Um, it's easier to track where the salvage is going, where those cars that are, are total losses and in accidents um, go. You know, you come to Ontario and there's, you know, 70, 80 insurance companies. And so there's no data that can come out. Um, so it's very useful. And I know we've been on some calls where, you know, when you say, you know, 30% of the EV salvage is leaving the country from, a, again, that materials, those critical materials that everybody's clamoring for, they're shocked by that. You know, they're, they're completely understanding that those are resources that we needed to keep in Canada, you know, as they keep making announcements on building battery manufacturing, battery or vehicle assembly uh, infrastructure announcements, um, that only works. Those, those forecasts of the adoption of EVs only work when you can get those critical metals. And if we're shipping them overseas and enhancing someone else's economy, those are the big picture issues that um, different levels of government are looking at and need to look at a lot, a lot harder. But, but again, it's the, the BC knowledge. Um, you know, we have anecdotal information elsewhere that they're moving um, offshore. Uh, but BC's got the real information and they were quite shocked that that was happening. Hello and welcome to EV Friendly. My name is Ken Hendricks and this is the podcast for you if you're looking for engaging conversations about electric vehicles. Today I am joined with Steve Fletcher. Steve is the executive director of the Ontario Automotive Recyclers Association, a 180 member uh, organization representing the auto recyclers of Ontario. Steve is also the managing director for the Automotive Recyclers of Canada, an umbrella organization with over 350 recycling members from seven different provinces. Steve has hosted three international roundtable events in Quebec City, Liverpool, and Niagara Falls. He's also attended nine out of the 11 IRTs. He's written for many industry publications, including the Canadian Auto Recycling Magazine and Collision Repair Magazine. He holds a Bachelor of Science from the University of Waterloo and an MBA from Western Ontario. He currently lives in London, Ontario. Steve, welcome to the podcast. Hi there, Ken. Glad to be here. So you have an extensive history in the auto recycling world, uh, but I don't think that was always the case. Can you start off with telling us how did you get into this industry? Sure, I, I actually joined the industry way back in 1992. So I'm coming up on my 30th anniversary. Um, I came from the world of marketing and advertising and uh, owned a communication business uh, back then and took on a contract with a, a network of auto recyclers to provide communication services, a bit of lobbying, um, really just a part-time activity. But as I got into it and understood the challenges and opportunities that these um, small businesses presented uh, by acting as a, an association, as a unified group, um, tremendous opportunities to kind of share information both ways, explaining what auto recyclers do, and then also working with other organizations and government especially just to um, interpret those different government initiatives, um, making them relevant for auto recyclers. So just that two-way street and just grew it over time, sort of a small network to 
a larger network to creating the Ontario Association. And eventually we figured out that there needs to be national, even international representation. Right. And that's so where the that, auto recyclers. Yeah, came. when did that happen? That was in the late 90s? Uh, it was in the mid mid to early 90s, we started talking about it. Um, and it was actually Neil James from BC who came out to Ontario. Uh, the group that I was working for was called the Canadian Auto Recyclers, but it was really just an Ontario network. And he sort of showed up and was just like, where's the Canadian Auto Recyclers? I want to talk to them. Um, so around about, uh, I think 1997 was when ARC formed in it's an umbrella association, as you mentioned. So for the most part, the provinces, the Atlantic region have their own associations because that's where the bulk of the activity uh, from a regulatory perspective, but also the, you know, the vehicle is licensed provincially, the auto recyclers licensed provincially. Um, so we tend to have very strong provincial associations, but needed that unifying um, entity to kind of work on bigger issues and even international issues to kind of represent Canada and bring information back from around the world to Canada so that we could grow the sector. It, it's definitely out of all the industry associations, it's it's the most connected because it's not only connected throughout North America and through the uh, area in the U.S. internationally uh, as well. And, and you've been a, a host, as I mentioned briefly, with many of those. What percentage of that 350 that are members of ARC, would you say, like what percentage of actually auto recycling businesses? Uh, we, we think, and it's an interesting just sort of statement to say, we think there are about 1800 auto recyclers sort of cited, identified across Canada. So we represent uh, slightly less than a quarter of those, I believe. Mm -hmm. um, but in terms of actual vehicles processed, it's a much higher number. We're probably up over 50% of the vehicles that come off of the roads are processed by ARC members. Yeah, this is the case we, well, we constantly as well have to bring into the government that if they just look at the numbers, really, no, that does not represent the, the actual market share. Um, because, of course, associations also tend to attract not only the larger right. recycled, the more progressive ones as well. You know, we're not really representing those backyarders or um, people we wouldn't probably want in the associations anyways. Uh, so let's get to the elephant in the room when it comes to uh, EV batteries. Are EV batteries ending up in landfills? No, uh, not at all. Um, you know, vehicles themselves are not ending up in landfills because they're an asset. They're worth something at end of life. Um, a traditional gas vehicle, you know, not even taking account the, the parts that are there, the engines and, and mirrors, things that can be resold to be used somewhere else. They are approximately 80% metal, and that metal is highly sought after. It has been for 100 years. So vehicles themselves um, never within southern Canada end up in a landfill. The batteries... Um, from EVs and even hybrids are, are in that same class. Everybody's looking at them as an asset, as something that is desirable to understand. You know, the market economies haven't kind of mixed or kind of um, sorted themselves out in terms of every, v every battery has got value, but auto recyclers are very skilled at looking at a car, looking at its components, looking at its materials and figuring out yeah, there, there's a market in there and we're getting enough cues from other industries seeking batteries, trying to understand how batteries flow. 
that they have value. Um, there's a, there's a, a number out there, 5% of, of lithium batteries are ending up in landfills. And that's a 15 year old study um, done on all batteries. And at that point in time, the vast majority of those batteries were single cells, you know, things that are, are you know, in rechargeable consumer items. They're very small, lightweight. Those are ending up in landfill and that's a bad place for those to be. They need to be stewarded because they don't have that value and they don't have the size. But okay. right now, we're, we're talking a lot about metal hydride. Yeah, so there's a lot of different chemistries uh, involved in, there's a lot of different types of vehicles. When we say an electric vehicle, it, it really encompasses, uh, for our definitions, a battery electric vehicle, a pure electric vehicle, but it also includes hybrids. Even though hybrids are a, a transition, thought to be a transition vehicle for consumers, it is for auto recyclers as well, because they, they will still have gas components to it all, but they've got this bigger, different battery. Um, a lot of those tend to be nickel metal hydride. You know, the price of nickel is through the roof as are many of the commodities. Um, so there are emerging companies on the recycling side, looking at the value of those, but also a lot looking at what sort of reuse opportunities as the complete battery pack, but also the individual battery cells that exist within those packs. Well, so what kind of numbers are we looking at now? Um, in terms of pure EVs, they're relatively new on the market. Recyclers are starting to see them. They're either avoiding them altogether because they, they just don't understand. <laughs> they don't understand the marketability of these. But uh, I, I know you've done some recent research into that. Um, yeah. Do, do we have any numbers and, and projections for maybe it, five years out of, of what we're yeah. looking at? So we have two sort of data points. One's very internal. So we've just completed a survey amongst our members, um, got a tremendous response back from them because this is a very topical issue. We, we asked a lot of questions about flow of batteries, but also the safety side of things and, and just the marketing opportunities. Um, and, and it ranged, about 75% of the respondents are dealing in some form of electric vehicle at end of life. So there's still 25% who are not touching those. We haven't got into the details about why. Um, top line, we think it's a safety issue, just not understanding um, the danger that these can, can hold, but also not fully understanding the economics of that battery and the parts that are surround it. But 75% of our members and the larger sector that we reached out to um, are dealing at some level in EVs. And it ranges from, in terms of inventory, the, the largest we saw was about a member with about 60 batteries in stock, sort of uh, removed, generally removed from the vehicles and in a, a contained um, storage situation down to the ones and twos. You know, a lot of members aren't looking to keep many of these on site. They're not sure of the, the storage requirements, how long do they last? Um, what are the insurance implications? Uh, but there are beginning to flow more and more. The other research that we actually just got today um, is some modeling from Transport Canada on different scenarios of adoption of ZEVs, so the uh, zero emission vehicles by province and, and sort of where we are. Um, based on our interpretation of the data, we don't think that an auto recycler is going to see 
uh, end-of-life vehicles, and, and we use 50%. You know, when will 50% of the end-of-life vehicles that a, a regular auto recycler sees be a ZEV uh, electric type of vehicle? And we think we're looking at about 18 to 20 years before 50% of the fleet um, is in that category. So again, a lot of assumptions. It, it, it doesn't necessarily, it doesn't reflect at all any of the critical material uh, restrictions that may exist. It doesn't reflect the infrastructure in terms of building out, charging, all those issues that a lot of people are working on. But it's a model and it, it's not an imminent issue, um, but we know it's coming. The auto recycling is a, a unique industry in that we see what's going on the road as they're being announced, as they're being built, as they're being bought, as they're being driven. Um, so we can start to forecast and, and get sales data on the types of parts requests that are coming in. So EVs are no different. Auto recyclers are looking at what's on the road now, what type of part requests are they getting, and they, they build that into how desirable that vehicle is. But the tipping point is still probably 15 years out before such a substantial number of, of EVs will have been sold to be on the road and those ICE vehicles, the internal combustion engines, starting to drop off as the economics of repair uh, just is no longer there. You, do you see then, because it's, a, because it's a slow trickle, it's easy to ignore it. Um, what does industry or what should the smart players start thinking about in terms of the safety aspects of it, of the profitability, and you touched on, but also the training? Like, when, when is a good time to get on this? Well, you know, a good time would have been last week, uh, you know, because this is an inevitable thing that's happening. Um, so we at the national level are, are kind of looking at, you know, what are the resources that exist um, out there in terms of training? And, and that's sort of the number one thing that it is on our radar and on individual members' radar is how can I safely dismantle these things? How can I make sure that my employees are not going to be damaged? They're going to go home safe. Mm -hmm. um, and the economics of it all is, is a bit of the after fact um, now. Um, we, we look at BC as being a real leader um, in this area. And, and we, we, we say wherever we go, you know, kudos to the uh, BC government and the, the BC industry for sort of being visionary in, in translating these sales mandates, um, this, these adoption strategies that are, are out there, the incentives to buy, putting in the infrastructure to charge they're thinking down the road of how do you maintain these things? How do you repair them if they're in an accident or they just need to be fixed? And for us is what do you do at end of life? Um, are, are, is the capacity being built into the system so that we can deal with that? Uh, and again, the BC government along with uh, the ARA has been very proactive in terms of identifying those gaps and filling them. Um, so some of the training that the EV friendly program um, has put out there for not only auto recyclers, but the towing industry and the repair industry, the dealership industry. Um, ARC is looking at that as a model for sure. How do we capitalize on the great steps that have been taken and how do we make that into more of a national offering 
um, but also looking around the world and, and looking down into the U.S. and looking at other jurisdictions. What are they doing that's innovative um, to deliver this training? Canada is a big country, and it's really difficult to bring one-on-one -on -one in-person training um, everywhere. So the virtual training that you guys have put together um, is quite noteworthy, and uh, we're, we're certainly hoping that we can kind of pile onto that and uh, make that into more of a, a national training protocol for members to look at. So you, you've, you've touched on an important subject, and it's the, the, the repair industry. And particularly, I'm talking about the aftermarket repair industry, um, because when um, a lot of information, a lot of press coverage about electric vehicles, even electric vehicle batteries, but it's always focused on the new, it's within this warranty period. Well, what happens when now it's out of warranty, you have to take it to an independent shop. Um, it's it, it, the, the repairability of these batteries is going to be the key to one, getting everyone on board, but also the sustainability, um, both economically and for the environment as well. And I see that recyclers can play a key role in this. Uh, but what do they need to do to be able to service that industry, to be able to start servicing these repair shops? Do they need to, is it a matter of enhanced training? Is it a matter of getting into the testing and the quality assurance of these components? Yeah. Um, so auto recyclers, you know, their primary role, primary way that they um, make profits is by selling parts. You know, they're in the parts business and the recycling of the materials is a bit of an after the fact uh, activity. It's important, but it's really the parts side of things. And it's the professional collision repair, mechanical repairs that are generally the targets because they're the ones, because of the complexity of the vehicle who are um, more involved in repairs. There's not a lot of do-it-yourself repairs going on. And I think electric vehicles there probably is even going to be less. Um, so we're very concerned with those sectors, uh, understanding what the problems, challenges, opportunities are, and our role in helping to solve those, um, or at least you know, make information available. Mm -hmm. um, the complexity of the vehicle uh, is, in a way, it gets simple in that the drivetrain of an, a pure EV vehicle is infinitely simpler than an ICE vehicle, the engine transmission, um, it's smaller, it's an induction motor, it's, it's, it's just, it's not as big. Um, its control is very complex. They're, they're essentially computers and sensors um, that make it um, quite interesting. Mm -hmm. So access to information for those repairers to understand what they're doing, what the challenges are, um, so going beyond the safety, again, just the, the um, ability to kind of lift the hood and, and get in there, you really need to know what you're doing from a safety perspective. Right. But they're, they are built differently. They're driven, the, the, the drivetrain, which is oftentimes the biggest problem, is different than a nice vehicle. Um, so access to data from the manufacturers with the manufacturers, um, the manufacturers, there's this tension between the aftermarket repair and the, the automakers and the dealers. Um, EVs are thought to have less maintenance around them, less moving parts, um, less need to kind of bring your car in to be serviced. 
it's probably more it's going to be just different things that you're having to do. Um, and, and the tension is between the, the aftermarket and the dealers is everybody wants to have that customer. Then nobody wants to kind of lose market share. Um, so because these things are, are that much more complex, that much more digitized and computerized, there needs to be the sharing of information on, you know, what is in these vehicles? What are the codes? How do you have the tools for the aftermarket to kind of deal with those? So those are kind of really big picture challenges that, that are being talked about legislatively at the national, even the North American level to have yeah. access to that sort of information. Certainly a, a ton of training is required to make sure that you understand um, what they're all about. But it's not no. an impossibility. It, it's not like they're not capable of being fixed. It's just a different mindset and, and certainly a different set of skills and information and probably even some tools. Yeah, I, I know you are familiar with the, there's, there is currently legislation uh, through a private member's bill now. It has passed second reading. Uh, I have gone through the bill. Do you think that's encompassing, uh, if it is passed, uh, that's going to solve a lot of the problems now for the recycle, uh, for the recyclers, uh, or do we, need, do we need different legislation? Well, it's probably an extension of the legislative activity that's happening. So we're part of that process and in, in trying to get our specific details um, about the ability to reuse parts, the ability to understand what's in these things. Um, we need that information at the inventory level. We need to make business decisions on what should be recovered from this vehicle. And that's tied into our um, online inventory systems to understand that and to control the sales process on it all. Um, well, that's, and that's what I was getting at earlier. I mean, is the future of the recycling industry just, you're just a parts puller and that part gets shipped somewhere else that makes those critical decisions? Or do you actually see the recyclers doing that when they get in and they can inventory part, that they can gauge that battery's health, uh, know whether or not, look, this is suitable for reuse, and I can guarantee you uh, this needs to go to, for, a, for a second life or secondary power storage, or no, this needs to go to a retrieve or a life cycle or, or right. some other kind of recycling center. Do you, do you see the recyclers playing that role? Uh, I do. Um, so right now on the battery side of things, <clears throat> it, the battery pack is made up of thousands of, of cells. They look essentially like a big D cell uh, battery and they're, they're hooked up and they've got a battery management system around them. So right now auto recyclers aren't looking to open up that battery and try to figure out what's working, what's not. It's, it's generally thought that the battery won't fail but individual cells within it will. And the battery management system, you know, that, that could be a failure that is, is something that can be rectified. So there is state of health tools that are being developed, software that is being developed um, on an open market situation where um, our ideal situation is that you'll be able to plug a battery into one of these uh, pieces of equipment. And it will tell you a lot more about the state of health than just what the car can tell you. The car will give you some basic information, but in order to sell it or understand which path it needs to go, reuse, remand, recycling, second life energy storage, you need to know more about um, what is inside of that 
module, can some of those batteries be replaced that will bring you back up in above a threshold where the, the vehicle, it, it can operate as a vehicle um, battery or whether it needs to go down the path of secondary energy storage, which is a completely new field mm-hmm. that auto recyclers are, are just beginning to understand as these are potential customers. Um, there's some BC right. startups, there's some startups in Quebec that are remanufacturing these because eventually the, the automakers will not be able to make or supply um, some of these batteries. And it, it's going to have to happen at a reman or, or at auto recyclers uh, place of business to kind of keep that yeah. vehicle on the road again. So there's, well, you mentioned this issue, there's, uh, there's new players coming into the industry. Uh, and along with that, new potential customers as well. Uh, is this something that leave industry to its own? They're going to figure it all out. It's all going to work, you know, the, the invisible hand. Uh, or do we need government legislation? And I, I know, and we've discussed this, both BC and, and Quebec now are, are talking about extended producer responsibility as one policy mechanism. Um, is this what's needed? Uh, are there other policy or regulation that, that we need to get all this all this machinery working. Yeah, it, if you look at the the electrification of the fleet, um, it's this mines the mobility and back again kind of strategy that Canada has. You know, Canada is a a nation of miners, and we've got most of those materials to go into building batteries available to us. But there, there's a it takes a long time to get those mines up and running. So recycling, you know, recovering those critical metals is always going to be part of it all. There are so many sectors looking at that uh, mining, manufacturing, electrical infrastructure, you know, all the way down and, and back again. Um, so there's no one entity that is going to control this. It, it, everybody's talking about coalitions and collaboration. So even at the federal level, you've got uh, Industry Canada, Transport Canada, Environment Canada, um, a lot of different uh, entities that have got a little piece of the puzzle. And even at the federal level, they're trying to figure out how do we collaborate? How do we know what the left hand and the right hand are doing? Um, mm-hmm. ARC just uh, started a project with Natural Resources Canada to build a roadmap for the industry. Um, and it's essentially to take all of those electrification trends and ideas and initiatives and look at it from the auto recyclers perspective. So upstream and downstream from us. So what do our customers need? What do we need? Um, you know, who are those buyers or those new buyers gonna be? And just trying to paint out a roadmap of where are we? Where do we need to be? And what are those gaps? And are those gaps that we can solve that other industries can solve, that academics can solve, or government can solve. And it's really, it's going to be a mixture of all of them. So for sure, there needs to be government involvement to make sure that roadblocks are removed, collaboration is there. The whole concept of of should there be extended producer responsibility on those batteries has been raised, as you said, in, in BC and Quebec. And our position is that it's a big maybe. Um, at this point in time, to put the financial and legal responsibility on the automaker for every single battery really takes us out of the equation. It doesn't allow us to do what we do best. 
but there are going to be batteries that need to be stewarded that that you, ha you know have no economic value and you don't want them in landfills you don't want them dumped by the side of the road or filling up a warehouse somewhere and that's where the auto manufacturers um, have and will step up and, and sort of backstop those batteries because again they're worth something uh, but sometimes it's the, the logistics of moving them around so I, it is really a collaboration and that's part of what we're trying to do is just insert ourselves into all of these conversations and say great don't forget about auto recyclers you know we need to play a role in separating the battery from the vehicle and then letting our members kind of do what they do best and that's profitably recovering the parts and materials and, and kind of keeping them back into circulation. We have control, you have control of a lot of the end of life batteries um, and profitable, um, absolutely. Uh, you mentioned right, they are an asset, whether or not they can be reused or definitely in secondary power storage. If look at, if, if we're going to switch to a complete uh, solar and wind uh, economy, we need a way of storing that power. The only way we're going to do that is with lithium ion batteries. And we can only manufacture so many of them. So the reuse uh, or the end of life market is going to be critical in there. Um, so as, as an asset, if there were something, the batteries are going to go where the money is. So that's why it's so important locally here to create a sustainable economy and to create a market for that. Um, but if we don't and we fail in that, then we have a real problem with the export of these batteries outside of the country. They're going to go to wherever there's there's someone's going to make money on those. Now we already have a problem with export of salvage, and I think it's probably safe to say that thirty percent of all the salvage is going outside of the country to offshore. Um, there's also the problem of salvage going from one province to the other, um, and we have some numbers in BC. So uh, and um, we definitely know that that is going to become a problem with EVs and with EV batteries. So having said that, is there a role now for government to play in that or can they? Well, and, and, and again, it's that BC expertise because there is essentially one insurance provider, ICBC. Um, it's easier to track where the salvage is going, where those cars that are, are total losses and in accidents um, go. You know, you come to Ontario and there's, you know, 70, 80 insurance companies. And so there's no data that can come out. Um, so it's very useful. And I know we've been on some calls where, you know, when you say, you know, 30% of the EV salvage is leaving the country from, a, again, that materials, those critical materials that everybody's clamoring for, they're shocked by that. You know, they're, they're completely understanding that those are resources that we needed to keep in Canada you know, as they keep making announcements on building battery manufacturing, battery or vehicle assembly uh, infrastructure announcements, um, that only works. Those, those forecasts of the adoption of EVs only work when you can get those critical metals. And if we're shipping them overseas and enhancing someone else's economy, those are the big picture issues that um, different levels of government are looking at and need to look at a lot, a lot harder. But but again, it's the the BC knowledge. Uh, you know, we have anecdotal information elsewhere that they're moving um, offshore, 
uh, but BC's got the real information, and they were quite shocked that that was happening. Yeah, absolutely, and I, and I, I think it, it, it's just, I mean, it's all it's exports always been an issue. Um, it, it's 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 elevated now, and mostly because of the battery, uh, and 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 the potential of the safety potential. Uh, it was just recently there was that um, or shipment of high end Porsches uh, caught fire and uh, sank the whole ship. Now, now, now that freight line has apparently either they will not ship EVs anymore as a result of it. Yeah. Uh, there's, there's obviously that real potential for this. So where do you think the recycling is going to be, the recycling industry is going to be in say five to 10 years? Uh, is it gonna be radically different from what it is now? Is there gonna be fewer players? What it, it, it's, you know, the, the concept of auto recycling um, you know, I, I think is viable. It has been for a hundred years and you know, will continue in that there will be professional businesses that evaluate an end-of-life vehicle for its profitability to, to offset the logistics and the depollution and the management of it all through parts and materials recovery. Um, it will be a more complex business as more uh, electrification, even of the, the vehicle or the components or the digitization of those components, it, it's, it's not um, necessarily an easier game to play. Um, you know, we're, we're starting to see a little bit of consolidation happening in it. Um, you know, some of the land is kind of worth more as land than it is as an auto recycler. And as the complexity of the task at hand um, increases, uh, it, it's, it's harder to kind of keep in business, but those businesses that are actively managing their future, um, I, I was talking to a couple today and they are super excited about this because they're all car guys at, at, at their heart. They just love vehicles and love understanding them. Um, and this is the newest type of vehicle or vehicle technology that's come along in a long time. But we've had these conversations, you know, when we moved to unibody, when we moved to away from carburetors and all mm -hmm. sorts of different technologies that have happened. The industry is is very flexible, evolving, and again, I think it's that future looking. You see the vehicles that are coming down the pipe, and you get to play with them. So, you know, our members are processing 2021 vehicles today, so they're looking at that technology and going, "I get it. I figured it out." And as we raise our awareness of the fact that we have these batteries, we have these vehicles, we're getting more and more of those different players. Um, you know, the energy storage industry is taking notice of us that, you know, we've got batteries. And sometimes they're just tests, you know, they need five, you know, for research, R&D, for academics to do their work on it all. Um, so, you know, we just need to, you know, keep nimble, um, but definitely the concept of modern auto recycling, um, it just, we need to exist uh, because the cars need to go somewhere. Um, there will be different players, but uh, again, those who actively educate themselves and, and seek out partners and seek out information, um, I think will do quite well, but it will look different for sure. We, uh, we're certainly talking about it. Um, BC is talking about it. ARC is talking about it. Some of the other provincial associations are talking about it. Wherefore, we're thinking. Um, and we weren't talking about this three years ago, even 
four years ago. Nobody was talking about uh, electric. Um, just on an ending note, then, is there anything that we're not talking about that we really should be? Well, and I think it's this international concept uh, to this. So it, it, the insurance industry, uh, certainly the auto manufacturing industry, are global players, and they share information and and whatnot. Um, even the collision repair, the mechanical repair, there are global things happening that you can learn from. So that's something that we've been doing um, as ARC, you know, whether it's the International Roundtable. So kind of looking and talking to our Japanese colleagues, looking at what's going on in the Far East. Yeah, a lot of it's not directly applicable to Canada, but it's certainly nice to know, good to know, because they're well ahead of us in terms of adoption on driving, building, and, and all of those things. Europe is a little bit closer in terms of how Canada functions and they're much more inclined to taking regulatory approaches to things, which um, some of them are great because it gives definition and structure to it all. But ultimately we're more of a North American economy. So our US colleagues, um, you know, we talk all the time about challenges and opportunities. You know, they're big. There are, you know, the, the US elephant b uh, below us. Um, and capable of once they move, you know, moving profoundly. You know, you just look at some of the, the the billions that the Biden administration is putting into this. You know, we, you really need to pay attention um, uh, on all of that. And even at our federal level, you're just starting to see more and more of these announcements happening about the buildup of capacity and infrastructure. So we've we've really learned from some of those international relationships and international knowledge sharing. Um, and I, I think Canada is sort of well respected by being proactive. And, and again, ARC develops and, and utilizes a lot of that proactiveness coming out of the likes of BC and Quebec to a certain extent. Um, just you know, making sure that they're looking down the road and, um, and, and we're really following that. So it, it's, it's a fight at the international level and, and, and the fight being, you know, how do you get people into these cars? How do you build them? How do you retain some of the economic activity within Canada or at least within North America? Um, and that happens through collaboration and information sharing and, and understanding that this is a really big transition that has got global implications, global supply lines, but we want to make sure that Canada's a successful at it all, and for sure, Canadian small business is a uh, needs to be a big part of all of that. We've uh, we've set big targets, and um, it's high stakes. There's a lot, there's a lot to lose, and uh, and we need to transition to this this uh, new electric economy for sure. Steve, thank you uh, very much for today's discussion. It was great talking to you, Ken, and. Uh... Hopefully this, again, just sort of advances that knowledge that uh, everybody needs to know that it's a lot of activity, um, but it's all moving in the right direction for sure. And we're going to continue talking about this. If you like today's uh, uh, podcast episode, you can check us out on our EV Friendly YouTube channel. Please like and subscribe and leave your comments. Also, if you don't have time to watch a full podcast, check out EV Friendly on the Go, our audio podcast available on Spotify and iTunes or wherever you download your podcasts. Thank you for joining me.